0: And to me, I think the, like the real teaching and learning opportunity is to say to people, I want to teach you a set of skills that you can replicate and use to explore yourself and the market around you routinely. Sometimes it's because things are shifting around us globally, and like we're in the middle of that right now. And I think the people who are going to come out of this um, differently are the people who have that skill set around, okay, how do I assess where I am, who I am, what I want, what I'm good at, and what the market needs? And then how do I put that into action somehow
1: welcome to cross pollination we're a member of the alberta podcast network powered by atb i hope everyone listening this week is safe and doing well as we're all settling in like house cats into more indoor lives and learning to meditate while looking wisely into the middle distance dr nila bari joins the show to talk careers career changes and some things we can all do to help our work in regular times and while the world is still uncertain Malabari is an insightful career coach and teacher with a previous background in the academic world as student dean at the Columbia Business School in New York. She's also led talent, leadership, and development programs in the private sector. She now teaches and coaches at Columbia, consults, and also works with organizations, executives, and individuals on leadership and careers. Because careers and career transitions often involve a lot of cross-pollination of skills, talents, and experience from one area to another, we were keen to hear her perspective on that topic, and especially about how people can be thinking about work, jobs, and their lives even in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, although it's also pretty understandable if many of us are not thinking about that and our minds are at least partially elsewhere. Nyla starts by telling us about her own career and how she got started and a stage that a lot of us go through early on, trying to figure out what to do for studies and work.
0: So I graduated from undergrad with a degree in literature, actually two degrees, English and French literature. Uh, Always been a big reader, always loved stories, and really thought that I was going to end up in book publishing, which I tried briefly after college and just turned out wasn't for me for a number of reasons. And um, I ended up You know, I I often say I work in the teaching and learning space, and I got here by um, going back to my college for a wedding. A classmate of mine was getting married um, up where we went to school, and I was visiting with an old professor, and I was feeling very lost. I was 25, which is hilarious now, but at the time, seemed like, oh, I should know what I'm going to do. And she asked me to think about someone whose job I admired. And, um, and the person I, th- I thought that I admired was the person who was someone who worked for the college, I went to Smith College. Um, she was the person who helped me decide to go abroad for my junior year. And I just had so much belief in her, like she was somebody who really shaped how I thought about my capabilities and adventure in my life. And uh, I was talking about her with this old professor who said, well, you know, that's somebody's job. Like, it's not an accident that you just walk into their aunt's office and somebody was there. There are people who make their lives in higher education on campus doing this kind of work, helping students. And I thought, oh my God, that sounds so fascinating. So I ended up going back to co- uh, back to grad school, getting a degree um, in higher education and found my way into working into business schools. Um, so um, I ended up spending about um, 17 years um, at Columbia Business School in New York City, um did a number of different things there. The bulk of my time, I was the dean of students, which meant that I stewarded the experience of our full-time MBA students, everything from the time they arrived to campus until they graduated and walked across the stage. And so I had felt like I had the best seat in the world to look at the adventure of people who were going back to school, transforming their lives, transforming their professional lives, um, community building, how we learn in groups uh all kinds of cool things and did that for a really really long time and then simultaneously I was I had made the decision when I finished my master's that I knew I wanted to go all the way. Um, it took me a really, really long time. But I ended up completing a doctorate in adult learning and leadership development um, at Columbia while I was working there. And in a way that all these things kind of dovetailed to this culminating time with me at Columbia. So I finished my degree, I finished my tenure as the Dean of Students. And I was at an inflection point um, professionally, and I was studying people who had been at their own inflection points professionally, uh, because I was studying people who had been laid off. And I ended up deriving a lot of lessons, which I'm sure we'll talk about, from studying those people. And it led me to uh, some exploration, and I ended up saying I wanted some corporate experience in learning and development. Uh, left to go take a job in L&D um, and talent management with a medical diagnostics company where I spent a little under four years. And simultaneously, I was growing my coaching practice and I was teaching a lot on the side and doing some facilitation. And there just came a point where that was more intriguing to me than working full time for a company. And it so happened that the company was going through some transitions and I actually got laid off, um, which for me, I, I felt like I'd been preparing for that moment for almost 10 years. Um but uh, it turned out to be the right pivot point for me. And now I have what I call a portfolio career uh, that involves teaching and facilitation and being in the classroom with people. It involves a fair amount of coaching, both executive coaching and within organizations and also doing some private coaching with people who are either looking to advance their skills or to make radical changes in their careers. And I do some consulting um, with different kinds of organizations around the teaching and learning human capital space. My 25-year college reunion was supposed to happen this spring, right? And it's all, of course, been canceled as a result of all the things going on globally. But when I look at 25 years of work history, I think now it kind of makes sense. I see a narrative now that I didn't when I was in it, right? So it felt like in the early stages, I was just bumbling around New York like a lot of young people are, just taking jobs and figuring out if I was going to go to law school or not go to law school or go to grad school, um, and then when I ended up working on a college campus, I didn't really have a long-term vision. I thought, I just really love what I'm doing. It feels really rewarding. It feels kind of hard, but just the right amount of hard. Um, it's fun. So I'm just going to keep doing it until I had hit kind of a wall where I just knew it was time to do something else. And then I made the best decision I could with the information I had. Um, now things feel purposeful. Um, but it's only in retrospect that I can look at it and say, oh yeah, I see some, I see some through lines that I might not have seen when I was in it.
1: I asked Nyla how people can select the kind of work they do and what happens when our job interests change over time. She says it's a process and a set of skills that can be learned to help guide our thinking and our actions at different points in our lives in a way that takes account of personal interests and concerns, as well as job market and the current situation.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think there's a number of factors we have to think about. There's always, you know, I sometimes say there's personal factors and there's practical factors, right? The personal factors are when we are thinking about what we're curious about, what we're good at, what is intriguing enough that we are willing to spend focused time doing. Uh, that can kind of draw us in one set of directions. I think there's also personal factors we have to think about, like, where can I afford to live? And who do I want to live around or with? And how does this fit into some kind of plan around accumulating the right experiences for uh, something I might need to do down the road, like preparing for graduate school or certification of some sort? So I'm, I'm often thinking about those two things myself and doing the dance between the two um, and guiding people to think about those things. I don't think it's a bad idea to pursue things that you love. I think figuring that out um, is big piece of the work I do with people. And I think what I've come to really understand is how much that can evolve over time. And I think I'm a classic example of like something that was amazing for me for many, many years, kind of ran its course. And I think that's the process of looking at that routinely and asking yourself, is this the right thing for me right now? Or as much as I can guess about the future um, is part of the skills that I want people to build. I think we do it for kids in college or maybe in grad school, we kind of say there's a career development path and this is how you're going to get your first job afterwards. And then we kind of say, okay, best of luck to you. Um, and to me, I think the like the real teaching and learning opportunity is to say to people, I want to teach you a set of skills that you can replicate and use to explore yourself and the market around you routinely. And sometimes it's because time is passing and it's been a year or three years or five years. And it's just that natural, season of our life. Sometimes it's because things are shifting around us globally. And like we're in the middle of that right now. And I think the people who are going to come out of this um, differently are the people who have that skill set around, okay, how do I assess where I am, who I am, what I want, what I'm good at, and what the market needs? And then how do I put that into action somehow?
1: Some of Nyla's earlier work looked at the 2008 financial crisis and how different people emerged from that time with respect to their careers. I asked her about how that work is relevant now at a time when COVID-19 has reshaped people's lives and work, as well as the economy globally, and there's little certainty right now about how things are going to look exactly in the near or further future. She has some great insights on in what people can do right
0: now while things are still uncertain. So I studied I qualitative research on people who'd been impacted by that uh, global event and um, And I'm really thinking this is, we know what's happening with um, COVID-19 is so new. It's only the last three or so weeks here that this has been a big factor for us. And I'm trying to draw parallels and understand um, how it might connect to what we have been through before um, in this country and globally. Um, It's hard to say exactly what's going to be the same. I think what will be uh, lasting and things impactful will be people's behavior around this. So one of the big takeaways from my research project um, after the recession, was that uh, really what distinguished people who had good outcomes post layoff from people who had less ideal outcomes post layoff was around their actions that they took, their behaviors. And as people are calling me and reaching out to me now saying, What am I supposed to be doing? that's what I'm pointing them to saying, Listen, things are happening so quickly, and we don't yet have a real handle on what's going to be happening across industries, across markets. But what we do have agency over is how we behave and how we, what kinds of steps we take in our homes right now to try to stable our own or offer some stability to our own work in this context.
1: What distinguished people with good outcomes versus less good outcomes? What do different outcomes look like?
0: So I would say a good outcome, let's use that criteria of personal and professional that I mentioned earlier. So a good outcome for me from a personal point of view would be meaningful work. So it work that feels it's the right way for you to overlay your skills, your interests, the things that you're good at where the market over where the market uh, has requirements, right? So that it fulfills you, gives you some sense of agency, some sense of creativity, some sense of pride. So that's from a personal point of view. From a practical point of view, appropriate work would signal things like being able to pay my bills, being able to meet my family's needs. Um, So people who have good outcomes are hitting both of those criteria. Um, And I found there are some people who after the layoffs of 2008, 2009, like four or five years later, were still not meeting that my, my qualifications for good outcomes. They were not able to provide for their families and um they were not personally okay, right? So they were feeling demoralized, they were feeling discouraged, they felt lost. The word stuck came up over and over again. Um so I that's how I think about what a what a good outcome is. The people I, I want to see, I want to see people thrive in that way where they can both pay their bills and feel good. Feel positive, feel optimistic about the future, and contribute in a meaningful way. When there is disruption, um, you know, one of the things that I think hooks people into getting stuck is over attachment to what I'm doing next, looking almost exactly what, like what I was just doing. Right, So people who I experience having different kinds of outcomes, better outcomes, are liberating some of those definitions of what the right thing to do right now is. And I'm not saying I want people to abandon uh, the use of their skills or their interests 100%, but I think having some flexibility about how I envision myself working in the future is going to be essential for anyone who's going to handle this transition, um, the one that we faced 10 years ago or the one that we're facing now.
1: I'm wondering how much people were able to take action on their own. And how much did they have to just be patient and wait for the situation to stabilize to some degree?
0: Well, um, I would say that my findings and my philosophy, which has been shaped by those findings, is that it really is about us. Like The agency we have, the control we have is really internal. Um, What we have to be doing, the way I think about all this work, and I'll offer the framework I think about, I think about inner work and outer work. When I talk about Navigating a career transition, whether it's in more stable times and you're just looking for something different out of your work experience, or whether we're in this period of chaos that we find ourselves in right now, I am guiding everyone to think about this blend between inner and outer work. Um, Inner work is this process of understanding, reflecting, drafting, questioning your own internal needs, your capability set. Um, it's the work that most of us are being forced to do right now because we're sitting in our homes uh, trying to figure out how to make sense of all this, right? So I, a lot of that, we exercise those that inner work through journaling, through talking with our closest friends or our trusted advisors, through looking at our old projects that we're really proud of and figuring out, listen, what did I love doing about that? What made me feel really good about that? Uh, it's, sitting with a blank piece of paper and envisioning how you might want to spend your time going forward, doing an honest assessment of what your skills are, what your values are. All that work is inner work. The outer work is then kind of getting out into the marketplace, into the networks and figuring out how is this landing with people who I talk to? What can I learn from people who are doing this in another company, another industry, another part of the world, et cetera? So I think right now um, we are in that place where we have to be figuring out where we want to be spending more of our time, what we need to be doing right now. For some people right now, there's a great need to kind of go within and figure out what should I be focused on? What do I love to do? What am I good at? What is my offer to the world? Um, And then we want to start getting out there and talking to people and figuring out, we're doing that from our homes, behind our laptops, mostly right now. What does this mean about, um, what is happening in your company and what do you anticipate happening in your industry? And what do you anticipate happening in your part of the world? How does what I know how to do dovetail with what you guys need right now? Um, I think that's a lot of what people are gonna be doing in the next few weeks and months. I just put something up on Medium the other day saying now it's a great time to network. Um it's I it might seem antithetical given that everyone's just adjusting. Um, but I think I think about networks like rings of a tree, right? So they're you know, in your network, then the most innermost ring are the people who are the closest to you, who are the people who, some people call this like your personal board of advisors, the people or directors, the people who know you, understand you, advocate for you, challenge you. Um, You know, the people who right now, probably this week, last week, maybe next week, you're going to be reaching out to more often because they offer emotional support as well as more, um, technical support around, uh, guidance, uh, mentoring, those types of things. And as you think about the rings of the tree, the further they get away from the center, the less of a personal relationship you might have with them. But we need those people on the outer rings as much as we need the people on the inner rings for different things, um, to learn about industries, to learn about companies, to learn about their stories. Um, I think right now I'm encouraging everybody to make a list of people they want to talk to connection. So pivotal right now. Um, who do you want to talk to and what do you want to know and what do you want to offer them? I think of every conversation like that. So what is my offer? What is my ask? Um, and I do think people are going to have to be creative and I think people are going to have to be a little bold right now too. Um, I think it's right. It's easy to think of that. I'm going to go to the 10 or 12 people I talk to the most frequently about work and keep going to them. And I'm encouraging people and I'm doing it myself. Say, okay, let's use this as a time to, really refine, this is the inner work, refine what I'm trying to understand or what I do understand about myself, my work, the things I know how to do, the things I'd like to offer the world and um, plan for that, but also figure out where am I curious? What do I not know? And who can help me find a person who I could have a useful conversation with? It feels useful both ways. Um, so yeah, I do think this is a time for expanding your network uh, but there's work to be done personally before you get out there talking to people, um, and so I'm encouraging people. This is this is the inner work, outer work dovetail right here. Like plan, think, organize your thoughts, and then have a conversation. See how it goes. Gather data. Is it useful for you? Are you learning something new? Are you getting good response to a particular part of your narrative? Great. Then let's try it somewhere else. Um, and I think I my, what I'm experiencing in the last 10 days myself are people are feeling very generous. They're nervous, of course, but people are feeling generous and people are so hungry to have conversations and to problem solve with you. Um, and I think that might take some of the pressure off to be perfect, you know, about like, is my narrative 100% lined up? I think it's okay if it's not. I think it's okay to say to people, I'm trying to figure out how to Take what I've been doing for the last two years, and if my company is not going to have reasonable work for me in the next six months or year, or if my job is eliminated, trying to figure out how to take my work experience and my skills and use them somewhere that needs me. I think it's okay to to workshop that with people.
1: So how do we make those bold calls to our immediate networks and outside them?
0: Yeah, I think, I, I mean, people are so apprehensive about networking in the best of times, right i i so many people i know just it's it's just a it's something we've built up to be so important that we become afraid of it um and i think you know on the other end of that zoom call or that phone call is a human who's also trying to figure out what this all means so i think in this time in particular uh i do believe preparation is really useful and essential i would never say just pick up the phone and call someone cold but i'd say give yourself a break do as much preparation and thinking and planning as you can. And you're on these calls to learn things. So of course, you're not going to have the answer totally buttoned up. You're trying to get more information to help you build a stronger narrative, to build a stronger path, to build more ideas and more options about how you could be useful to the world right now. So you can't know everything. That's why you're on the phone in the first place. That's okay.
1: There's also often a lot of anxiety for many of us in times of uncertainty. I asked Nyla about having that in the back of our minds right now while also continuing to work on our work. Her answer speaks to the importance of the way that we spend our time outside as well as inside our work.
0: Yeah, and I think, gosh, I mean, managing the anxiety of what's happening right now is I think the, the, the thing that's facing all of us when we wake up and look in the mirror, right? Is like, how do I get through one more day of not knowing what tomorrow is going to look like? Um, and so I'm am a I'm a fan of making lists of having pieces of work that we assign ourselves for the day, doing it as well as we can, and then closing the book and doing something for joy. Um, one of the things that I learned in my research and I have put into massive practice with my own life and those of my clients is that people who have really good outcomes after career disruption are doing something to invest in themselves beyond work all the time. So just doing something for love, for joy, for pleasure, for learning, um, it reminds us that we are whole people and that we have... Things that light us up and make us feel amazing, and that we're good at, and that joy can be derived um, in even small things like making dinner. And it reminds us that as as big a thing as work is listen, I talk about work all the time. My whole career is built around work. Um, I think about work a lot, I talk about work a lot, I research about work a lot. It's not the only thing in my life, it can't be the only thing in our lives. Um, And especially right now, um, it it really can't be the only thing in our lives. So there's this kind of surprise to most people when I say go do something you love that has nothing to do with your job or your job hunt. You know, go make dinner, go take an Italian lesson, Uh, go for a walk with your dog, go pick up your tennis racket, like whatever makes you feel like yourself again. That's what we want. I mean, I sometimes say that the workplace for me is just an arena to explore who I am as a person. And I think that's true for all of us. We spend a ton of time at work and it, it's the, uh, it's the place where we can grow into our full selves. And sometimes we we learn things at work that we apply into our lives outside of work, how to be patient, how to be a good team player, how to create lemonade out of lemons. Um, sometimes it's the way that we live outside of work that informs our work, right? How to be creative, how to be playful. Um, so I'm always thinking about the dance we do between the, time we spend at work and the time we spend outside of work because they're all reflective of who we are as people and who we're becoming as people. And so um, one of the things I'm saying to people right now is please try to find something you love doing that has nothing to do with panic about work or thinking about work uh, because it, the reward will be there in the long run. Right now, it's it's hard to keep our eyes on the long run. I know I'm struggling with it too, but um, I have to keep my eyes on the on the long game.
1: On the topic of things that bring joy and that are outside of our work, Your Forest is a podcast about the natural world. You can hear stories about the environment, renewable resources, and more. It's a podcast for those who can't live without the joys and wonders of wild things. You can find Your Forest wherever you get podcasts or at yourforestpodcast.com. On a different note, what about Netflix and all those other things we use to distract ourselves?
0: You know, I need a little Netflix, too. And I, you know, I I, I admit it. Um, and I, you know, listen, it's the same thing. It's like the difference between reading short form stuff online and diving into something really meaningful and substantial and long form that pushes your brain to go deep. Uh, I need a little sometimes I just need a BuzzFeed article. Um, and sometimes I'm going to pick up Jane Austen. It's okay. Um, you know, you have to be honest about, uh, you know, I have me a little sugar high once in a while, too. So it's okay.
1: So it's also about being where we are and accepting it. Going back to thinking about careers more broadly, and especially about transitions, Nyla talked earlier about both the inner work that's needed and the outer work and the actions we can take. If you listen to any of our earlier episodes with three people who reinvented their work from different jobs in the oil and gas industry, those guests also talked about doing this and taking the time to figure out some of the internals, like the things that they enjoyed and they were good at in their previous roles, and how they went about identifying new jobs where they could apply some of those interests, skills, and experience and redeploy them. Nyla talks about how she works with clients going through that process.
0: Yeah, yeah. So when I think about inner work, one of the first places I send people is into their own work history and to say, let's take a look at what you've accomplished uh, in the last period of time. So for some people, that's three or four years. For some people, that's 20 years. Um, I do a couple of exercises with my clients around tracking what I call your ple- your peak moments and your bleak moments, like the moments that were amazing, your peaks, like great, wor- great work, great flow, great learning, great productivity. Um, and then your bleak moments, which is like, work when you've dreaded showing up in the morning or you've, um, not been proud of the work you've done because you know you weren't showing up at your most, um, productive or your best. And I want to tell people, how do I make sense of that? How do, when we look at those patterns, what does it start to tell us about the type of work, the context where your work's taking place, the people with whom you're working, let's learn from that. Um, And then part the next one of the next steps I want people to do is build what I call their highlight reel, which is to take the work they're the proudest of, uh, which demonstrates their skills, their talents, their unique imprint on the world, and allows them to construct stories that are impactful. So when they're talking to people in networking and job interviews uh, or whatever they're doing, they have a couple of key stories on. of of their value, of what they know how to do really well. And I found that when I did my research on people who were laid off, the people who understood how to talk about this had really different outcomes, right? So listen, when you have lost your job or when you're about to lose your job or when uh, you're living through times like we're living in right now where things feel so uncertain, all the panic sets in and you get a lot of, I don't know what I'm good at. I I don't even know what I would do next. I don't know. I don't know. You do know. No one else is going to know but you. So let's do the work to figure out how you're going to talk about it. Uh, and the people who make time, and sometimes it takes a couple days, weeks, maybe even a month to build these stories, to test them out with people, to uh, refine them, you got to do it. Um, there's, there's no way around it because people are going to want to have evidence of what you know how to do and how you add value. So yeah, I, I'm a big believer in the highlight reel. I actually have a worksheet on my website that people can download um, to get a copy of, of the, the way that I walk most of my clients through it. Um, and I think that's a great way to spend some of this uncertain time. Uh, if you want something to focus yourself so that you're not just reading too many headlines, uh, put yourself to work figuring out your highlights. I think it also helps you figure out, um, even if you're not interviewing actively or you're not talking to people actively, it helps you figure out where to pay attention. Right, So if you can look at your own work history and say, there are three stories I'm super proud of because I solved big problems that were super ambiguous. I think right now, not only does that prepare you for when you eventually feel ready to go interview and... Uh, talk to people, but it reminds you of how capable you are. And I think that's one of the things that we're experiencing now is when or whenever there's disruption, or chaos in the workplace, you start to feel so small, like, what am I supposed to do? And doing this work reminds you that you are strong, and that you are resilient, and that you have gotten through difficult times before. And maybe the context wasn't as dire as what we're facing now. But those are the same muscles you get to activate, you get to put to use again. And that's what I want people to think right now is like, where can I dig deep and realize what I'm capable of doing in other times so that as I move into this new state, whatever it is, um, I'm not starting from scratch. I have a, I would say a fair amount of clients who are working, who are either not working to what they believe to be their full potential or they're not working in a way that is meeting their criteria for work worth doing, meaning that it might feel fine on paper, but when they evaluate how they feel at the end of the week or the month, it's just not for them. Um, I have people I'm working with who have been laid off. I have people I'm working with who have been uh, away from work for several years because of childcare or other reasons. Uh, in some ways, I don't know that it matters so much. I think that This is the work that we owe ourselves. Uh, We're going to spend more time working in our lives than we're going to do anything else while we're awake. So I think we owe ourselves the experience of digging deep and figuring out what we're meant to be doing in the world in a way that meets both of our personal and our practical needs. Um, Do I think there's urgency when you're out of work that might not be around when you are working? Of course. Uh, But the skills to me are not so different. And I think even if you are in a job right now. And it feels like it's going to be okay through all of what we're experiencing. Do the work, do the personal work to figure it out because the world's going to be look different two, three, four months from now. And the world might need your skill set and your offer in a different way. And I would love for people to have really the ideal match between what they know how to do and what the world needs. So I think we owe ourselves the work one way or the other.
1: One of the other topics that came up in the oil and gas work reinvention episodes was the importance of having mentors who've been where you want to go and who can tell you the route they took to get there or give you good advice in getting through the tough times. Those mentors can come in a lot of different forms, not necessarily formal mentors. I asked Nyla what mentorship means in the context of the work she does. Her definition ranged from formal mentors to other people in your networks to authors whose work informs your ideas, all people whose experiences provide you with data that you can use to make your own decisions.
0: Yeah. So I, you know, I, I'll be honest, I kind of uh, mentoring for me is a, is a pretty complex term. Um, but if, if the principle behind this is to say, I want to understand how other people have done This transition or made this pivot or added to their portfolio, I think that's extremely useful. So I often talk in terms of data. And I'll say we are our primary source of data. Start with your work history, your interior life, the things you love to do. Where have you been? Where are you now? What do you envision your future being? That's your first data set. And I do a lot of work with people on just understanding themselves as a primary source of data. The second thing I say is we got, that's outer work. Let's go out and get some new data, right? And some of the best data comes from people who have done something that you think is interesting. I, you know, I bring you back to my original story of how when that teacher of mine from Smith said, whose career do you admire? I was looking internally in my little mental Rolodex of like, who are the people who had jobs I thought were cool? And that Advisor, that international study advisor, she was that story for me that I was like, ooh, what she does sounds really interesting. You know, current, present day Nyla would go and call her and say, hey, I want to talk about how you got into this. I didn't do that because I didn't even think of it at the time. But um, who, how'd you get into the field? What were the choices you made? What were the pivots you made? How did you start? What do you think I need to be thinking about? I'm encouraging people frequently to have those kinds of conversations as a source of data collection. And I'm always saying to people, it's data, right? We don't have to love it, believe it, follow it. We just want to look at it, understand it, and analyze it, see if it serves us. Um, so that's how I, th- about, you know, this idea that your colleague mentioned in terms of venturing, I think of it in terms of data collection. I do think those are, pivotal. And by the way, it's one of the benefits that we gain when we have done our own internal work, we become a source of inspiration and wisdom for other people. Um, so if, if I would recommend to everyone, make a short list of people who have done the thing that you think is interesting enough to pursue and talk to them, find out what their guidance is, maybe what their mentorship uh, might offer you. Uh, yes, 100% get some more data for sure. And I think, listen, I'm a believer that the best mentors evolve organically. And so you might find that somebody who you connect with wants to keep it up with you or you have enough uh, of a connection or chemistry with them that you say, you know, I'd love to come back to you in the future and learn more about you. Um, I, th- I think when those things evolve naturally, we have, we have better results. Um, but yeah, I think that's a, that's a definite possibility. Yeah, it's funny. It's just not a, a word I use so often. Um, I, if I think about the, you know, I think what the end game of something like mentoring for me is, is someone who is invested in helping you grow and learn and advance. So I, I get behind the idea of sponsors. This was something that was kind of really emerging in the last 10 years, um, In companies, largely, the idea that someone would be your sponsor or your advocate, meaning they're really kind of clearing the way ahead of you. We talk about this in women's leadership quite a bit. Um, I really, I can get behind that idea. I think about the people who would offer me what mentorship, I think, does in a classic definition are um, my network of like my primary collaborators, the people who I and in my world, is people who have also moved into solo practice around these spaces that I care about, coaching, teaching, learning, who might be a year ahead of me or five years ahead of me and have something to offer me. But what I have come to realize is even though I might be earlier in my uh, solo practice, I have other things to offer them. It feels much more reciprocal than a traditional mentoring definition. So I like the idea of mastermind groups, of collaborating groups, of partnerships, because it... it I like that it feels very reciprocal and mutual. Um, and I'm other, other people who are way ahead of me, they're my teachers. And I'm, I love that. I love assembling a group of people who can teach me things. And I love having a group of people who I'm teaching. Um, whether that means in the most classic way, like they are my students in a classroom or they're people who are just earlier on their path. Um, yeah. So, um, I think, listen, the end game for me, let's get data into the system. However it comes to you. Some of my, favorite teachers are people I don't even know, right? Like I, I say this all the time, like Anne Lamotte is one of my favorite writers. And she writes about writing and spirituality and a whole bunch of things about just the experience of being human. And I refer to her work all the time, even though I've never met her. Actually, I met her at a book signing once, but she wouldn't remember me. Um, yeah, Parker Palmer is another guy. I read all his stuff. He's a educator and teacher um, uh, in the Quaker tradition. I read all of his work. I take, you know, workshops with him online. And I consider him to be a ma- major influence in how I think, even though I've never met him. Um, and I think kind of breaking the definition of who gets to influence my thinking is pretty great. And I think it's pretty great right now. And we're all spending so much time looking at content.
1: Another topic that we've been pretty excited to talk about in our episodes on innovation and design is experiments. They've been pretty critical in a lot of areas for trying out the feasibility of different ideas in a structured way while managing risks, and seeing what can be learned. It turns out that in career design, they're no less important, and experiments can take a lot of different forms.
0: This, yeah, this was one of my biggest findings in my research. It continues to be something I believe in so wholeheartedly that one of the best ways we get new data into the system is by designing and conducting and evaluating experiments. Um, I think that's how, that's how I got where I am. It's, I created all these experiments. Can I run a side hustle? Can I pitch my coaching services? Can I teach in a classroom after so many years of being a student in a classroom? Um, one of the things I see people do now is experiment and use it as a way of managing risk, learning a lot, building some resilience and redundancy into their income streams. There's so many ways in which it's helpful. Um, and one of the things I love to do with clients is help them design the, the right experiment for them at this moment in time. I think this is what we're going to be seeing a ton of right now. And um, I would, I would encourage everyone to be thinking about this right now. How can I get new data into the system that might educate me about what my skills really are, how viable they are, how sellable they are, how needed they are. Um, It's also a chance that one of the best ways I know that people can make substantial pivots is to try something small, right? Um, If you, when I was uh, doing my original research, I had talked to a woman who was the director of operations for like a homeware company, dishes and plates and glasses, those kinds of things. And, um, she was laid off and spent some time thinking, am I going to go back into working in that kind of operational role? But in her life, her kids were out of the house. She developed a really strong interest in fitness and wellness, which she had kind of used as a hobby over the years. And she thought, what if this is the period of time where I convert this hobby into something I do full time. And it turned out in her life that she ended up picking up a couple of consulting projects that were more operations focused where she could leverage her skills immediately. But she picked up a number of side hustles to um, coach um, athletes and get certified in a couple of different modalities. And over the course of three years, she made the pivot from having operations be 70% of her work to going down to being 20% of her work. So she could fill the balance up with this other stuff, the fitness and health and wellness stuff. And, she did it by experimenting. Like, let me try this for two months. Let me try this for five months. Let me try this for one year. Let me see if I can reach the numbers I need to reach in order to provide for my family. Let me see if I feel as good as I think I'm going to if I'm at the gym 20 hours a week rather than five hours a week. That, all of that is data collection. And I'm, I'm all for it. Yeah. The, otherwise, I think we're just hurling things at the wall hoping something sticks. And I think that's exhausting. You know, it's not productive and I think it burns us out really fast. Um, so you might ask, you know, what is, if I think about this period of time, um, it might be, you know, how do I take the skill set that I honed in my last job and make it viable to be paid for as an independent contractor? Um, or if I want to look into an industry that I've always been curious about, but never really taken a step in, how do I find out what the most important skill sets or experiences are and how close am I to having that? If I, if I find there's a gap the next question becomes, how can I most economically and in the least amount of time close that gap? So start with a question. Yeah. A question where you can measure the results, right? You want to get data. You want to be able to analyze that data.
1: So how can we design those experiments?
0: Well, you always want to start with the research question, right? Like to, Not to put too much of a teacher hat on, but you want to start with what is the thing is that I'm trying to figure out, right? Um, and I'll, I'll give you, if it's if helpful for you, I will um, give you another example. So I have a neighbor who is a friend of mine who is an art designer and graphic designer who has been home with her children for, uh, at this point, I guess the last 13 years since her um, oldest was born. And she started asking me a couple years ago, I wonder if I could um, get back into having some work that would be paying. She'd been doing volunteer work with her skills for all these years in the school system, in the church, and all these things around us. Um, so we started saying, okay, what, what's, what's the first thing we could do? What's the question we want to ask ourselves? Do people, are my skills, in her case, it was, are my skills as current as they need to be? So she did a few things. She looked around online to what companies, when she looked at job descriptions, what were the, what were the programs, what were the, um, requirements for jobs that would have been interesting to her 13 years ago. She looked around at schools of design in our area. What are they offering? How hard is it to be, to upskill? She talked to people. So It starts by understanding the research question. That first question was, what do I need in order to be uh, viable? Are my skills where they need to be? Second is, what are people willing to pay for services uh, for small scale projects? So maybe a personal website or a set of collateral for an event. And she tested it by calling a couple of places who she knew were throwing events and needed some design support and asking, you know, this is, this is the kind of work I can offer you. Is this a price that you would be willing to live with? Um, so that's how we, people start is with the question. What is it that I need to know? Sometimes it's a question around skills and do I need to upskill? Do I need to take a class? Do I need to do something else? Sometimes it's a question around interest. Can like this woman I mentioned with the gym, can I be satisfied if I'm not the person who's taking the spinning class, but the person leading the spinning class, like, is it going to feel as rewarding for me? Um, for a lot of people that I studied after the layoff um, was, you know, can I be comfortable working alone. Can I take the thing that I used to do within an organization and offer it as a freelancer or as part of the gig economy? Um, try for it, take a project on and evaluate not just, am I getting paid enough? But am I producing my best work when I'm really sitting at home for most of the day or I'm working alone in a coffee shop or in a co-working space? So those, I always say start the experiment by asking the right question. What is it that you don't know that you need to know? Um, and I think that helps you design a more viable experiment.
1: So one of the trends that might emerge from this present time or strengthen in places where it's already well underway is portfolio work. One question I had for Nyla was if, in her experience, that's becoming more compatible with more traditional employers and if companies are becoming more receptive to transitions generally or open to the value of experience that
0: cross-pollinates different fields and sectors. If I, if I reflect on my own time working on my own, I think there are companies for, who, from a cost perspective, really do value contractors and gig workers. I also think there's something about outside experience that companies are have an appetite for. And I noticed that there are some companies I work with, especially on the talent side, uh, manager development side, who like that I have a foot in higher education. I have a foot in companies. I have a foot in health systems. I only have two feet, but I, 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 should—well, should, however that expression is supposed to go, that I have experience in a number of those different areas because it allows us to draw on best practices across industries. Um, I think that as companies start thinking about how to survive what's happening right now, this is a way that people like me or like you or people who are working on their own can uh, advocate for the value of short-term gig work, is that I bring with me when I come into a company now experience and working at top universities and working at top medical companies at working for top investment firms. Um, and you get that sense of best practice that otherwise you're reading about in a journal or in the newspaper Um, I think something that I hope companies start to think about is how can I bring outsiders in for projects where there's, it's not just about reducing costs. It's also about bringing a diverse set of experiences into the door.
1: Before we get to Nyla's last word of advice, if you'd like to check out a worksheet on your highlight reel or any of her other work, including articles, interviews, how to contact her and her own upcoming podcast, here's where you can find out more.
0: Sure. So, uh, you can find me online at nylabari.com. It's N-A-Y-L-A-B-A-H-R-I.com. So on my website, I do some writing, um, about career resilience, about career changes, about leadership development. Um, I'm on podcasts like this, so you can see those links. I'm launching my own podcast in a few weeks called Inside Job, and I look forward to, um, hearing from people about that. Um, like I said, I offer that worksheet on how to develop your own highlight reel. And I'd love to hear from people because my work is evolving as the markets are evolving and people's needs are evolving. So let's stay in touch. What's your podcast about? We're actually targeting um, an April 15th launch. It's called Inside Job. I'm doing it with my colleague, Eric Johnson, who is the head of career services at the Kelly School of Business um, in Indiana. And we're talking about work and leadership and this idea that uh, if we're going to spend so much time of our lives at work, let's make it work for us.
1: We're always keen to promote more great podcasts, so we'll be looking forward to that. In the meantime, here's Nyla's final word of advice on working on the work you do, and especially
0: now. The good news is it's not too late. The thing I would add is um, I get the sense sometimes that people feel like, oh my God, I should have started on figuring out my career backup plan already. Now, We're in the middle of a crisis and it's too late. And I just have to say, I don't think that thought serves us. And uh, whether or not we should have had a few extra months of salary stashed away or we should have had our highlight reel done already, my encouragement is today is a great day to begin. And whether that means cutting one cost so that you can have a little bit of a cushion in the bank or whether that means devoting one hour to looking at your work history and figuring out what it tells you about what matters to you. Now is the right time to start. And just, there's, you don't have to do this alone. Um, There are lots of resources to help you navigate what is choppy waters, and we will get through this.
1: If you enjoyed this podcast, you might like to check out Tight Ends, another podcast on the APN. Find out what happens on sports podcasts when there's no sports. There's still lots to talk about, and it's pretty fun. That's it for this episode with Nilo Bari. I hope you found it useful. Over the coming weeks and months, Cross Pollination will be doing more episodes on cross-pollinating, innovation, and creative themes, also focusing on what people and organizations are doing or can do to help them prepare, get through, and consider their work in the world as it is right now. Join us for our next episode with Diane Mulcahy. Among other things, she's author of the best-selling book, The Gig Economy, and she'll talk about her perspective on establishing gig or portfolio careers. She also interviewed Nyla for an article in Forbes that you can find online where they talk in more detail about the work she mentioned on people with good career outcomes following the 2008 financial crisis. At CrossPollination, I'd love to know what you're thinking about with respect to work right now. You can connect with the show on Twitter at pollinata one or on our website, crosspollination.co. I always appreciate hearing too if you enjoyed the show or if you've introduced it to other people. Thanks for listening and take care. See you next time.